Okay, turn to the book of First Timothy. I'm just going to use this verse uh, to introduce a topic, a series. I, I don't know how long I'll go. I'll probably just go as long until I get interested in preaching and something else. So, you ever read the Bible and then you find a word in Scripture and it's a simple word and you've read that word a thousand times, you know what it means, but you really just don't stop to consider and to apply its full force to the verse. And really just stop and draw out of that verse and draw out of the words and the implications of those words all you can. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy verse 11. We're going to focus on one word in this, in this passage as it introduces the text. I'm not going to execute the text, but use it to introduce a topic. Verse 11, 111. There's really a dozen verses that I could have used to introduce this. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trusts. No, I'm not even reading it in context, but I just want to focus on two words. The blessed God. The blessed God. How many of you have heard a series or teaching on the Beatitudes? And when you, I'm sure most of you have heard some sort of teaching on the Beatitudes. I hope you have. Uh, maybe we'll visit the Beatitudes. We'll probably make it a part of uh, this series, probably. Uh, but the word blessed God, what's, what's a synonym for the word blessed? In fact, this Greek word is translated this way in seven or eight passages. But if you recall, in, in your minds, the idea of that blessed can confer the uh, word happy. Happy. So when you take that understanding of it and apply it to this verse here in 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking of the happy God. Have you ever considered the joy and happiness of God? Rejoicing is a manifestation of happiness. You certainly don't rejoice because you're sad. You rejoice because you're happy. So we're going to look at uh, rejoicing. We're going to do a series on rejoicing. This morning we're going to start on the history of rejoicing. The history of rejoicing. A text in the book we're certainly going to get into in this series is the book of Philippians. The word rejoice appears over and over and over. And our command here in Philippians 4.4 4 is one that reflects back onto us. Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Here we have a commandment. A commandment that's emphasized, that classic Hebrew and in the Greek also, idea of em emphasizing something by repetition. So when you have not only a command, but a repeated command, that's something that ought to take up a good portion of your Christian life. Here's a command of God to rejoice in the Lord always. How sadly just we think of, just think of yesterday, how much we didn't rejoice in the Lord. Hopefully this series is meant to encourage us to obey Philippians 4.4 4 in its fullest. But first of all, we're going to look at the history of it and the origin of it. The genesis of rejoicing is that first of all that God rejoices. God rejoices. Do not take therefore joy and rejoicing 
lightly. It's actually pretty serious. God rejoices. Rejoicing is sanctified unto God. When man rejoices, when man rejoices, they are expressing the image of God in them. You are made in the image of God. And when you rejoice, that is reflecting who God is. So herein we rejoice because God himself rejoices. There is nothing in God that does not and should not inspire rejoicing. Is there any part of God that would make you sad? God is a being who of himself, this is, this is the genesis of all rejoicing. God is a being who of himself causes rejoicing. God causes rejoicing. This is distinguished. This is distinguished from circumstances that God is involved in. What do I mean by that? People love Santa Claus. Why do people love Santa Claus? Because Santa Claus comes and brings us presents. Okay? If Santa Claus didn't bring us presents, he wouldn't be near as popular in our culture. So then, God causes rejoicing of himself by his mere existence. He is worthy of inspiring rejoicing in his creatures by merely being who he is, even if he does not do anything towards his creatures. As in, we rejoice in God because of God, not in the circumstances that God brings about in our lives. This is reflected in the inter, uh, intra-Trinitarian love before the foundation of the world. This is a reflection of the intra-Trinitarian love before the foundation of the world. This is why having an understanding of theology proper is so vital to Christian application. Why you can never go wrong in studying the person and doctrine of God in us. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And this love is for who they are and not what they do. You see that? There's that Trinitarian love based on who they are and what they are, not what they do for each other. This love is infinite, divine love. This is the very love of God Almighty. This love is fully expressed. The Father, Son, and Spirit fully pour out their infinite love upon each other. And there is nothing unlovely in each other that would cause any hesitation to love. This is based on who they are and not what they do. In eternity past, there was nothing but the eternal existence of God. Before time was, there was nothing but God and His love. God and His love. They weren't doing things for each other to inspire love. They weren't trying to help each other or be cool or impress each other or bribe each other. They were, there was just love for who they were. This love is infinite and divine and the recipient 
is able to receive and acknowledge all the love of God. The Son received the fullness of the love of the Father, and likewise the Spirit. It was able to reflect back, acknowledge and glorify each other in this eternity past love feast. To contrast that, the love of God which man, which is expressed to man, God has shown His love to us, right? But we don't fully receive it. We don't fully acknowledge it. We don't fully reflect it. God loves man, yet man does not receive or rejoice in or reciprocate God's love. And that just a sad thought of itself. Here's God expressing His love, and we're going to show that in a, in a thousand ways, hopefully. A man doesn't receive it, acknowledge it, or rejoice in it. That'll be our theme of rejoicing in the goodness of God. Rejoicing because God loves you. Is there anything more that you need from God to rejoice in? Can you imagine the enormity of the fact that God is not only beautiful and lovely of Himself, but God is pleased to pour that love onto us? There's an enormity to the fact that God loves us. There's also an enormity to the sadness that sometimes we don't love God. John 15.9 says this, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. What kind of love does God the Father show God the Son? We can't comprehend that, can we? It's an infinite, divine, pure unfiltered, unalloyed love, a love of itself, a love that derives out of the mere pleasure of God. God loves because He wants to love. God is free from circumstances in applying His love and applying His rejoicing. God does not love you because of the circumstances you bring to Him. There's nothing outside of God that God needs to do anything. A few more proof texts of the intra-Trinitarian love. Uh, John 5.20 John 5.20 For as the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, he will show him greater things than thee that ye may marvel. So we're beginning to to build a a theme here that the inter-Trinitarian love is expressed through the means of God loving and manifesting that to mankind. So we're going to get, well, I'll explain that further in our next point as he rejoices in the works of creation. But right now we want to know that the Father loves the Son. And God the Father, it, God is about the business and it is his intention to manifest that and express that. Verse 25, uh, I'll turn to, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8. We'll start in verse 25. Before the mountains were settled... 
Before the hills was I brought forth. Before creation. While as yet he had not made the earth. Or the fields. Or the highest part of the dust of the world. When he had prepared the heavens. I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he had established the clouds above. When he had strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. Look here, look how this is going to apply to the Lord Jesus. Then, in this creation moment, was I by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight. This idea here of of has one that was brought up with him is the idea of I was a little baby. He's tender toward me. It's a little baby in the pew over there. How tender and kind and gentle, caring for the parents for that little baby. This is the idea expressed here in the Hebrew of God the Father toward the Son. Not that Jesus was created, not that he grew or changed, but it's the idea of that expression of love and rejoicing. I was daily his delight. In eternity past, day after day after day of eternity past, the Son was the delight of the Father. Now let me ask you a question. What are you going to do to delight God for five minutes? If you were before God and you wanted to bring rejoicing and happiness and entertainment and delight to God, what would you do? I mean, you're a vile sinner of yourself. You're a vile sinner. There's nothing entertaining. There's nothing delightful in sin and ugliness. Even if you could delight God, even if there was something you could do to entertain Him or delight Him, could you do it for eternity past? And have there not be a single degree less of delight in the Lord and our Father, Heavenly Father? But for eternity past, the delight the Father had toward the Son was unchanging. It was expressed in its fullness. Rejoicing always before Him and the Son rejoiced always before the Father. I want to note the fact that God's rejoicing is not affected by the circumstances applies to man also. That God's rejoicing in us, and we're going to get to this, but God's rejoicing in us in several ways in His creation and that we're made in His image, in His providence, in His salvation, in His preservation, in the glorification of the saints. God rejoices in all these things. But none of those things necessitate or cause God's rejoicing. But are mere reflections of that joy, rejoicing. God's emotions are not a yo-yo that man pulls back and forth. Oh, I'm going to sin and grieve God. Now I'll be good and go to church and say three prayers and God will be happy. Now I'm going to skip church and God's going to be sad. And That's not the way God is. God's emotions, God's feelings are not based on circumstances. His rejoicing is of Himself. It's a divine rejoicing. There's what is called aseity of God. Aseity of God. 
that God of Himself is not dependent upon anything. Okay? It refers to his, His independence. And therefore His rejoicing is not dependent on anything outside of Himself. His rejoicing is not dependent upon anything outside of Himself. But rather... It is His good pleasure and it is, it is His rejoicing to manifest and make known that rejoicing and what uh, is the what God rejoices in. God certainly, as we said, rejoices in uh, who He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He wants to make Father, Son, and Holy Spirit known. And He wants to make that known by creation. By creation. So he rejoices, which is our next point, in the works of his hand in creation. This is certainly uh, multifaceted. The very purpose of creation was to express the joy of God. Have you ever thought about that? That your individual creation is an expression of the joy of God? You are a manifestation of God himself rejoicing. The very purpose of creation was to express the joy of God. But this joy would not be expressed all at once. God is not going to manifest the fullness of that rejoicing all at once. But God has determined that throughout the entire history of creation, from creation to consummation, that there would be a building, a continual growth of that joy and manifestation till it is fully revealed in glory in the last day. Certainly God created everything good in the natural order of things. In the original creation, before sin entered into the world, this world was lovely, it was beautiful. There's no sin in it. Genesis 1.31 says this, And God saw everything He had made. Behold, it was very good. Evening and morning were the sixth day. God saw all that He had done by His creative power, by His knowledge, and he said not that it was good, but that it was very good. Job 38.7 When the morning stars, listen to this idea of rejoicing in creation. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, all the sons of God being the angels, that's my understanding of it. But here, when the, when the stars were created, this is my understanding of this verse, that all the sons of God, the heavenly hosts, shouted for joy. Ecclesiastes 3.11 He hath made everything beautiful in his time. He hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God, the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So deep, so broad is this work of God. And all of it is a reflection of the rejoicing of God. It is his good pleasure that whatever exists, exists. Whether it's the nebulas and the stars and, and, and black holes and, and, uh, all the farthest reaches of spaces and galaxies to the smallest little pieces of, of DNA and, and, uh, mitochondria and, uh, all the little cells and, I mean, there's a world within a world within a world. I mean, we have not come to the, uh, we have not even come close to what they call irreducible complexity. 
Whatever makes up a cell, whatever makes up an atom, there, we used to think uh, an atom's made up of three parts. Atoms made up a lot more than just three little parts. When we don't, we can't even see an atom. We don't even know what protons are made of. I mean, there's probably a whole world inside a proton or a neutron. Very complex and deep, and it's all good. God's good pleasure, manifesting much about God, manifesting His wisdom, His power. Is, is, is that idea that God is infinite. This universe is very, very large. But what we tend to miss is that it also manifests God's happiness. God's happiness in making this entire universe, both in the big and in the small. God rejoices to make this world the way it is. So what should our attitude be toward this creation that God that causes God to rejoice? Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Psalm 104.31 The glory of God shall endure forever and the Lord listen to this, Psalm 104.31 The Lord shall rejoice in His works. Here's the promise. Here's the proclamation that the Lord, Jehovah, rejoices in His works. Those works then are to reciprocate, reflect back, mirror back that joy of God. Turn to Psalm 148. Turn to Psalm 148. Here's a psalm that uh, it's not all that difficult to understand what it's saying. But let's read this psalm through verse 5 and think of it with the idea of reflecting back the joy of God and see the ultimate purpose of all creation. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heaven of he- heavens of heavens, ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. You see in this psalm here, that seems to praise the Lord, praise the Lord, that His creation is created to reflect back that praise of who and what God is. And God rejoices in that. It's a reflection of the joy and happiness of God. We then also are to rejoice in the works of God. Have you ever stopped and think of how many times of when was the very happiest moment of your life? What When you think back in your mind, what was the time you were the most happy? I'll tell you, my most happy time uh, is when I was a, a child and we lived in Alaska. There were just scenes in my mind of seeing things so awesome. And, and uh, going in the mountains in the summertime and just the panoramic views of being on top of this mountain, you know, not too terribly high. but And just things and glaciers and the woods. I tend to think I'm happiest just alone in the woods and it's quiet and the trees and it's just it's just beautiful the sound of the ocean i mean how many times of your how many times has this created world 
just puts you in awe and just happiness and serenity. That's a reflection of God. That's a reflection of God's image in you. As God rejoices in His work, that image of God in you rejoices in His work also. However, this temporary rejoicing that man has in this life is not like the rejoicing that God had before the foundation of the world. This is due to sin. Since God intends... Now listen to this. This is an eschatological purpose of rejoicing. Rejoicing plays a role in eschatology, the end times, the the uh, ultimate purpose of what God does with anything. God intends His rejoicing to be both manifested and reciprocated or known and experienced, children. means that God wants you to know what kind of rejoicing God Himself does. Then creation has not yet fulfilled its purpose. If creation is supposed to reflect the fullness of the rejoicing of God, therefore creation has not yet fulfilled its purpose. There is a rejoicing of God in His creation yet to come. There is a deeper, fuller manifestation of that rejoicing yet to come. There is a rejoicing in God for His people yet to come. There is a rejoicing that God's going to partake of in us, you and I, saints, has not yet been manifested. In other words, rejoicing is a part of God's eschatological purpose. Rejoicing is a big part of the Scriptures, I'm finding out. How many times have we read it? And But rejoicing plays a big part in, in, in the macro understanding of Scripture. The purpose of God is to rejoice in the work of His hands. And by His good pleasure, that includes, by His wisdom, that includes the salvation of man from sin. Your purpose then, your purpose, every one of you, even you children, listen up, your purpose is to rejoice in God. You're created to rejoice in God. Psalm 40, verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, my thoughts with, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order to thee. Who can comprehend all the thoughts of God to us? The depth and breadth and number of them. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Psalm 111.4 He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. He hath made this to be remembered, to be known, to be meditated upon, and to reflect and produce praise from us to God. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 139.14 I will praise Thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. And that my soul knoweth right well. And then certainly mark this passage down. Revelation 15.3 Revelation 15.3 They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, 
Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Here's the song of the redeemed in heaven. Cleansed from their sin. And what is the nature of their worship in heaven before the face of God? But marvelous, great and marvelous are thy works. That is closer. That is almost close to the end of the God's eschatological purpose for rejoicing. Here's the saints glorifying God by rejoicing and remembering His works. He rejoices then. One more point and then we'll end here. He rejoices not only in His creation, but He rejoices in His governance of that creation. This world will reach its intended end. As in God rejoices in His works of providence. God rejoices in His work of providence. God's providence is His governance of all things. Our confession says that God hath decreed in Himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably. It's unchangeable because He's not stupid. We need to all remember that from Genesis to Revelation is plan A of God. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 were not plan A and then everything after that plan B. Some people, some of the dispensational varieties, they have plan A, B, C, D, E, and F. No, this is God's plan A. God's plan A from Genesis to Revelation. That God freely... And unchangeably all things ordains all things whatsoever comes to pass. Revelation. Uh, let me read some more. Uh, uh, as I read these passages which show God's sovereignty and His providence and ordaining whatsoever comes to pass, we're going to read this not with the idea of the sovereignty, but with the idea of Him seeing, of finding rejoicing in God's pleasure, His happiness in that providence. Our theme is the rejoicing of God, and we're going to see God rejoicing in His providence. Revelation 4.11 Thou, O Lord, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. All things. For thy pleasure they were and are created. Isaiah 46.10 Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, God's sovereign decree of all things. But note this, don't forget the last clause, I will do all my pleasure. I will do all my pleasure. And it is His pleasure in all that He does. God is rejoicing in the works of bringing creation and the fall to the consummation in glory. Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. What's the first word you see there? Let's, let's read that. Let, let's do our own version, the Jared Yancey version. Happy Happiness to the God, 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, made us happy with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Or you could say, or you could say, read it like this. In love, having predestinated us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Look at this next phrase. According to the good pleasure of his will, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. But it's not just his will. God's not a computer. Some theology teaches that God is a God of logic, and he has ordained this world like set up like a series of dominoes to save the most people possible. You see, and he's got the hand, he's got to deal with man's free will, so he thought of all possible scenarios, and he came up with the one way to have man's free will, get as many people saved as possible, so he set up the dominoes just right to get as many people saved as he could, but he has he's constrained within the realm of man's free choices. That's not what our text says here. Not only was it his will, but it was his good pleasure. His will had had, had a, an antecedent, if you will, of his good pleasure. You can't ever have something contrary uh, within God. There's nothing contrary mixed up within God. You can't have love and justice. Wisdom and compassion, feelings and such, uh, contrast one another. God's not a being like capable of that. Also look at verse, uh, verse 11. I did read verse 11 to you. Uh, turn, uh, Hebrews, let me read Hebrews, uh, 6.17. Hebrews 6.17. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and the seas and in all deep. That's the, that, that's Psalm 135. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting my notes mixed up. I apologize. Psalm 130. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 135. Turn to Psalm 135. Hebrews 6.17 just speaks about the immutability of his oath, of his counsel. That God's counsel doesn't change. But go ahead, we'll end here on Psalm 135. Saying the pleasure of God in His sovereign providence over His creation. All things working to a purpose, to an end. Okay, Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased... That did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Look at what his good pleasure is. He causes the vapor to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. He who smoteth the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, who sent tokens and wonders in the midst of the O Egypt, upon Pharaoh, Upon all of his servants who smote great nations and slew mighty king Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, all the kingdoms of Canaan. 
gave their land for an heritage, a heritage unto Israel, his people. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial. What does that mean, and thy memorial? That is our reflection, our knowledge, that glory being manifested to man, man receiving it, acknowledging it, and reflecting back to God. In thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. So this topic here, uh, this brings up the, the Exodus account. And we will use that to transition into that God rejoices in his work of salvation. So with that we will end. I trust that we will meditate this weekend. And seriously consider the command of God. To rejoice in the Lord always. Because there's nothing about God that should not inspire rejoicing. And that that rejoicing is free from circumstances. That that rejoicing is free from circumstances. We'll get into that when we actually get to the book of Philippians. We all know, all you Bible readers all know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians, right? And the circumstances of him saying rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I had a trial yesterday. And these thoughts came to my mind saying, even though I'm in these circumstances, I should be rejoicing in God. What's the worst circumstances that could possibly happen to you? Worst circumstances that could possibly happen to you could only bring you home to heaven, right? Other than that, God's promises should do nothing but cause you to rejoice because you have God, almighty, all-powerful God. That should cause you to rejoice. How much better than that is a God who is a yo-yo. A God who is constrained by man's free will. By Satan's free will. How could you rejoice in a God who is constrained by the free will of Satan? That's kind of scary and fearful actually, isn't it? But a God who does whatsoever, a God who is ordained whatsoever comes to pass. But he does so out of the good pleasure of his will. And it's his pleasure. God's providence in your life and your history has been His good pleasure to bring you to a place of the fullness of rejoicing. And God's not done, yet, not yet done with you. We're not to that place where we receive the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. So let's pray and then Brother Larry, come dismiss us with music please.